want to remind you that God delights to give you the capacity to live beyond your abilities, your current abilities today. We said that the uh, entire premise is this, living by the flesh as compared to living in the spirit is like walking on a plane as compared to flying by a plane. It's as simple as living with God as if you're walking in your own abilities and your own strength and your own fitness and your own performance or being taken on a plane where it takes you further than you ever could. It flies you beyond the capacities that a human being has on their own. It takes you beyond the law of gravity. It takes you beyond your abilities to go places in record times that only can happen through a plane. And this is exactly what it's like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like Duncan mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we as Christians believe that God is a three-dimensional God. God is a tri-unity. He's a trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is fully loved. That's the essence of God. He is wise beyond understanding. His foolishness is wider than the wisest human being ever. And he expressed that wisdom in the person of his son, Jesus. And he has a life. He has power. He is able to do immeasurably more than you and I could ever think or imagine. You see, the Christian life is being given a bad rap because Christians living the Christian life with their own capacity. It's not meant to be lived that way. And we wonder why it's hard. We wonder why it's challenging. We wonder why we're up and down every second day. We wonder how people can actually manage enjoying God whilst others are struggling to even wake up in the morning to spend time with God. And that's not because you are faulty or flawed. It's because you simply can't live life in your own personal capacity and connect with God Almighty in a, super, uh, in a supernatural realm. Friends, I beg you, I beg you in the name of Jesus that you would consider living the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I understand you may have had your own observations and experiences and nutters and widows who mentioned that they spirit-filled people, but they did weird things that pushed you out of the way of considering the reality that you too can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I apologize on their behalf, but don't check out because you're the only person that's losing the battle. You have been in places and I have been in places where we felt helpless and without capacity to pursue what we wanted to do. I recall coming the first time coming to Australia was 1989. We had uh, uh, endured a significant difficulty as a family. And the only way out of the problems that we were experiencing is that my dad and myself and my mom, we were, mig- uh, we were told to migrate elsewhere and were coming to Australia in October 1989. It was a Friday morning and we got on Egypt Air, as I told you a couple of uh, times ago. And it didn't last very long. 
you know, we had some hand luggage. Obviously, we put our luggages uh, down in the bottom of the plane. And as we walked out up and, uh, you know, exploring this whole thing, they called the plane. I've never seen that before. And uh, we put our uh, luggages in the compartments as, as directed. And literally, it would have been two, three minutes that we sat down. And one of the secret Asian police, whatever they call, came up and uh, interacted with my dad for probably about 30 seconds, I don't know, and dad uh, looked to mom and I, and, and he said, we're going to go down. Uh, we, pick up your luggages, and we're going down. We went down. I didn't know what was going on. Later, I found out that this guy said to dad that they just need him for a couple of minutes in the airport. Imagine the urgency that they're going to get somebody out of the plane just before we depart for a couple of minutes interviews. If you're Egyptian or know anything about Egyptians, they never take two minutes to do anything. So a couple of minutes honestly ended up being two to three hours where we, they obviously wanted us to fly to Australia while dad was trapped in the airport and create agony for us and for him. Uh, Dad was smart enough by the power of the discerning of the Holy Spirit. He asked us to go with him. And, and obviously they had a long interview after that. They said, you can travel next week. We went home on a Friday afternoon, Saturday. Dad went to church, did his thing. And then on Sunday, it was my turn. I was going to my friends at my church and I surprised them. I thought this is the greatest thing that I could surprise them and, and visit them because they thought I was gone for good. And, uh, and uh, just as before I, uh, I, I got ready, just before I walked out, there's two gentlemen knocked on the door. I invited them in, and they went into the study to meet with Dad. As soon as they started meeting with Dad, I realized, you know, it's my, my deal is done now. I'm going to go and, and meet with my friends. I was there in the church for two, three hours. Who knows? On the way back, I, I arrived to the house, and I realized all was not good. My dad was not there. My mom was in tears. And I was told that those two secret policemen had taken dad somewhere. We didn't know where. Uh, we assumed or I assumed that they might have taken him to a court for a hearing. Uh, I, if you know me, I get lost around the church vicinity. I do not have any idea about social, uh, uh, spatial intelligence. I'm, I get lost everywhere. But I decided I'm going to find out where the court is where they took my dad. So I, I in the heat of, 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 of Egypt, I, I ran around. I, I walked everywhere trying to find out where the court might be. It would have been a long time. I can't tell you precisely how long it's been. Uh, but as I was walking, all I could think about, how dare I? See two people with my dad, and I go after my friends. How dare I live with the selfishness of ignoring whatever is going on with my family because I was so keen for my own benefit of being with my friends. But at the same time, I was thinking, what's going to happen to dad? He had been in prison prior to that for his faith about several years uh, earlier. And I was worried that that would happen again. Tears streaming down my face. I was lost. I was confused. I was guilty. And I was downright helpless. 
And I'm confident with this many people in one room, you know exactly what it's like to feel helpless. Where the task or the challenge ahead of you is significantly harder than the capacity you could manufacture. I know that would hit a chord with you, regardless in what area or aspect of life you've experienced that. But you know the gut-wrenching feeling of being helpless in the face of a challenge. And knowing that you could have played a part, but you didn't. And I don't know if that resembles in any way your spiritual endeavor with God. I wonder if today you find yourself in a place where you wish you could have done things differently. Where you wish you could be someone far for Jesus the way you imagine you could be. Where you wish you could serve him selflessly and wholeheartedly the way that you thought God's people did life. Or imagine what it's like to live a relation, in a relational environment that totally enveloped by God's unconditional love and care. And you know you're the reason why things aren't working the way they are. But you keep trying harder, just like I did on the way to the court, or you keep crying harder because you feel guilty with what you've done. And today, by God's goodness and grace, I want to relieve you from that guilt, and I want to stop that gut-wrenching sense of helpness that the enemy brings into your life. Because you, friends, today can have a supernatural relationship with God that's beyond your abilities to comprehend. You see, in the Old Testament, if you're not a a Christian and you don't understand that, before the coming of Jesus, the people of God were like a nation. It called the nation of Israel. And God, as he took them out of slavery in Egypt, they were traveling towards their dreamland, and God gave them a covenant. That means like a contract. It was like an agreement that God could have with his people. And he gave them some rules and regulations of how to live the life that God created them to live. And guess what? Just like you, just like me, they failed over and over and over and over again. And then uh, the prophets came up in the midst of the helplessness of God's people. And one such prophet named Ezekiel and another called Jeremiah and others said to them, I am going, God is speaking through the prophets, I am bringing a brand new way of living. It's going to be called the new covenant. It's a new contract. It's a new agreement. It's a new plain field. You can live on a supernatural realm. And that's what he says in the book of Ezekiel and again in the book of Jeremiah. But in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, it says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. You don't have to try. You don't have to have a heart of flesh just so you can be sensitive to God's thing. You don't have to have the capacity in your hardware to do things God's way. God will give you that. That's his promise. It says, and I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees. That means I will motivate you. I will empower you. I will enable you. I will help you to live the life that you've always wanted. I will move you to, to, do, to follow my decrees and to, care, and to 
Be careful to keep my laws. And true to form, God never lies. And as Jesus came into the world, he said to his disciples, it is better for you that I'll depart and go to heaven because then I will send you the Holy Spirit. That's the new covenant. That's the covenant of the Holy Spirit where he comes and abides and enables God's people to live the life that they've always wanted. And then on the day of what we call the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days from the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came upon the church and they've experienced something that they've never experienced before. The Holy Spirit came to abide over people for the first time, to abide over them forever. In the past, He was visiting people. He would come over people for a task. But this is the first time where the Holy Spirit would come to abide in God's people forever. Because until He was glorified, they couldn't have received the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the enablement of the Holy Spirit over the church. It was three experiences in one. The Holy Spirit came over the church and they experienced for the first time the abiding and dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Then He also filled them and filled them to the brim. It's written that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But then He overflowed through them and He manifested the gifts of Jesus, the, 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 the competencies of Jesus as well as the character of Jesus in them. It was an all-encompassing experience that does not get repeated. It is one experience like the Calvary, like the cross, where Jesus died for you and I. He never has, has to die again. This is the deposit of the Holy Spirit to you and I. And on that day, Peter, the apostle Peter preached and the people were cut to the heart and said, What do we do? He said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit, you, your family, and those who are far off. He was envisaging you and I today. We too can have the gift of the Holy Spirit without trying. We can have the presence of God's life and spirit and power over our lives as a grace-filled gift, not something that you earn or that you deserve, because whoever deserved the presence of God in their lives. So first one is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As we spoke about it last week, that God by His Spirit comes and abides on the inside of you. That you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something, if you've been, I don't know, whatever denomination that you've been part of, and you say, oh, I'm interested in God the Father, interested in God the Son, but not interested in God the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, you need to really read it. If you're a God and a Word person, I hear these people, we're the Word people. You're not great. You can't be a Word person and not a Holy Spirit person. That's your denomination. That's not God-written Word. Because it's written in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do, not you do not belong to Christ. So if you would rather not have the Holy Spirit and not belong to Christ, the choice is yours. But the reality is this, God's people who accept Christ in their life, they are endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He speaks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for the corporate church. And he speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about every individual believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when God knocks on your heart, 
and comes Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit come and they make your, their abiding in your life. You have received salvation. You have received the DNA of God on the inside of you. But you know what sometimes we as Christians do? And if you're not a Christian, you, don't, you just listen uh, how silly we are. But if you're a Christian and you've received Jesus, but you haven't been filled by the Spirit of God, it's like asking Jesus who just knocked on your door, come in, come in. You, you know what? For the next six years or 60 years, you're going to be in the kitchen providing for us. Because that's your best job, God. You know, you provide for us, you cook for us, you clean for us, you support us when we need you. But, but you know, the rest of our lives is ours. And we'll spend the rest of the time watching TV in the lounge room, calling the shots, doing our own business. Oh, but I've been saved, brother. Yeah, good on you. But the Holy Spirit is serving you in the kitchen. He's not controlling your life. He's not abiding with you on a daily basis. He's not motivating your actions. You just want him as a servant, but he's far better than that. He's a friend. He's a God. He's a lover. And he wants to fill every part of you. So last week we spoke about the indwelling. Today I want to focus for a few minutes on the filling of the Spirit. And the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about the empowerment, the, the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The one defining is Scripture. The one piece of Scripture that is uh, uh, irrevocable in terms of understanding of the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Spirit comes in the book of Ephesians and chapter 5. And if you're not familiar with the book of Ephesians, it's written by a guy called Paul who was a persecutor of the church and came to know Jesus and his life was transformed like your life will be transformed if you come to Christ. And then he imprisoned in Rome around 60 AD. He started writing some letters to the churches. He wrote to a church called the Church of Colossae. And just very shortly after that, he began to write the letter of Ephesians to a group of Christians in that area. It may have been circulated to other Christians at the same time. But this was to enlarge their understanding of what it's like that Christ created a community, a society that is enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a fully different life. In the book of Ephesians, he shares a, a, particular, a particular phrase that is absolutely stunning, that tells us how we can live on a different plane. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that God has, praise be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. There is a different realm to the natural realm that we live around. That's in 1.3. In 120 again he says, and, and seated us with him that is with Christ at the right hand in the heavenly realms. In chapter, three, in chapter 2 and verse 6 it says, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3 and verse 10, I'm just going to prove a point. That, it, that, that God reveals the manif manifold wisdom in the heavenly realms through the church. Again in, six, uh, in, in chapter 6 and verse 12 it says that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms we live on a different plane we fight our battles in a different plane. We live embraced in a different reality because we are in the spirit, not just in the realm of the natural. 
And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul speaks about our beliefs as Christians. Then in the following few chapters, starting from chapter 4, he speaks about our behavior, practicality. How do we live life the way God intended us to live it? In chapter 4 and verse 1, it speaks how we walk in unity. In chapter 5 and verse 17, it speaks how we need to live wisely. And then he gives us here the enablement of how we can live that supernatural, demanding, and incredibly challenging, yet extremely fulfilling Christian walk. In chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, do not get drunk. That is the negative bit. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a no and a yes. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And you wonder, why on earth does Paul associate the idea of being filled with the Spirit with drunk with wine? You think about it. As someone is under the influence of wine or being drunk is under the control of something else. They are ruled by something else. They are controlled by something else. We call it the under the influence. The first thing you need to know about being filled by the Spirit is it means being controlled by the Spirit. Listen to me. I understand that some of your experiences in the past or those people that were called the, the Spirit people as, associated the idea of being filled with the Spirit, that it's a second blessing, it's a great experience, it's a tangible emotional stuff that happens and all of a sudden you get more of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing further from the truth. You cannot have more of the same person. He doesn't give you his arm, he's not like a human being, but he doesn't give you an arm today and his leg tomorrow. He is a God being. He's God Almighty. You can't get more of him. He entrusts all of you to you. But the reality, how much of you is controlled by him? That's what being filled with the Spirit is. You know why we created the illusion of being filled with the Spirit as an experience? Because you and I want the three-minute noodle model of Christianity. I go into the microwave, oh, I'm filled by the Spirit. You know, I used to have people come to a church in the previous church and say, I was born again such and such day and I was filled on such and such a Yeah? Watch out the world. You don't get a three-minute noodle experience of filling of the Holy Spirit because no drunk person becomes drunk because of once. If you're going to continue to be drunk, you need to continually to abuse the substance. If you're going to be filled by the Spirit, you need to continually be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the Christianity that creates a once-off environment is a Christianity that has been manipulated by Western mentality. Christianity is a walk. It's always been a walk. It's always been a walk. In the Old Testament, it speaks about a lifestyle. It's about the way. It's about being continually with God, not once off. And you live the rest of your life for your own purposes. God wants more of you because He has better things for you and for me. Being filled means not what more you can get of the Holy Spirit. But what more can he get of you? Your finances under the filling of the Spirit? Your relationship is under the filling of the Spirit? Your hobbies under the filling of the Spirit, the control of the Spirit? 
Your interaction with other people is it under the control of the Spirit? Your ministry is it under the control of the Spirit? Your hopes and your dreams and your future and your time and your schedule is it under the control of the Spirit? Because you can have as many experiences as you wish. But unless you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you're not a Spirit-filled person. And God is seeking more. More of you because He has more for you. He has more for you. So what is the sign of being filled? By the way, the idea of being filled, the actual verb means ever be filled. It means ongoingly be filled. It means ever surrender every part of your life continuously to the God who loves you and cares about you. And he's willing to stay in the kitchen for however long you want him to stay. But he says, I want more of you because I have more for you. So what are the signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Obviously, you've heard people that say it's manifestations, supernatural manifestations. Particularly, some denomination would say that it's speaking in tongues. Mind you, in the, in the scripture, in the first book of Corinthians, it says, do they all speak in tongues? Do they all have the gift of healing? And the exact answer to that question is no. It's the implied no to that answer. You can't all speak in tongues. But if we can't all speak in tongues and it's the only sign of being filled with the Spirit, then none of us can claim we're filled by the Spirit. You are not filled by the Spirit because you have the ministration of supernatural powers. That is one of the overflow of God's presence in our life. But that is not the sign of being filled. It's better than that. It's not more practical than that. Don't remember that Ephesians chapter 5 is smack bang in the middle of the practical section of the letter of Paul. And here he speaks of three things. He actually gives us five particular um, uh, signs of being filled. But they can be categorized into three things. The first three parts is about singing. And this is what it says. It says, speaking to one another. With psalms, hymns, and songs. From the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. The first three things that Paul mentions associated with being filled with the Spirit is singing. Is singing. And singing is not merely worship on a stage or worship on a Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle of worship. It's somebody that is adoring God so much that every time they speak to someone else, they can't help but overflow with praise to God. Have you noticed that? Can you see that it doesn't say speaking to God? It says speaking to one another. You imagine if you're in the midst of a big project or your team just won the grand final, no matter who you talk to, you're going to bombard them with the things that's overflowing, the thing that's on your mind, the thing that's saturating your imagination, the things that preoccupying your mind. You always overflow of the things that occupy you. 
And Paul is saying, if you want to know whether you're filled or not, you're going to overflow on your speech with other people. You're not going to be talking about some stupid things. You're going to be talking about God Almighty because you adore Him and love Him. And you've been touched by His affection. You've been mesmerized by His character. You can't believe His activities around your life and His care and your compassion and your love and His wisdom towards you. There is a spirit-empowered worship that overwhelms our challenges when it comes to relating to God. But if, if being filled by the Spirit, it's a surrender of our lives, I want to ask you the first question. If you want to experience spirit-empowered relationship with God, if you want to be immersed in adoration for God, what saturates my mind? What saturates your mind would be revealed in your communication and conversation. Is it God's honor or is it your honor? You're going to say, oh, Peter, that's so philosophical. I don't think about my honor. No, you do. You and I think about our honor more than we'd be willing to admit. Because when you talk to people, who do you talk about? It's like this, uh, this silly a joke that they used to say a long while ago says, you know, somebody's talking about themselves for a long, long time and recognize that this is a bit rude. So he looks at the person in front of him and says, enough talking about me. What do you think of me? That's what we do at times. We want people to think about us. Our conversations is so self-focused. It's me, myself, and I. And it's like everything to build my reputation and my honor and my glory. I want to impress you so you can clap me, which you're not thinking about me because you're thinking about you and when you're going to get your two bobs worth in. And we're living in a vicious cycle of trying to honor ourselves. Not only when we talk positively about ourselves, we're preoccupied with ourselves. It's when we talk negatively about other people. It's all in the, in, 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 in the way of, of, of blessing someone else. Oh, you know, and you're loving on somebody else by nudging them and telling them negative things about somebody else. Whose honor is at stake? Who's occupying your conversation? It says, whoever rejoices amongst you, let him sing or let her sing. Who are you singing praises for? Your capacities, your dreams, your hopes, your reputation, or my hopes, my dreams, my reputation, or are you singing the praises of Jesus? A spirit-filled person is empowered to be preoccupied by adoration, immersed by adoration of Christ. The second thing we learn in the same passage in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to propose to you the second sign of somebody being filled by the Spirit is their worldview is different. Let me give you a confession. I am never thankful when things don't go my way. My plans, my hope. I believe that thankfulness is when God does things my way. When he answers my prayers, when things align to the hopes and dreams and strategies that I have. But you know what? You and I can be grateful without being comfortable. You and I don't have to dream about our own comfort. We can be thankful that God's plans and agendas are being fulfilled even if I don't feel comfortable with it. 
I was whinging to God on Wednesday. I went with a, for a walk with God and, and whinging to him about different things. And, and he said, whose agendas are being ruined here, Peter? I said, mine. He said, that's good. You're not comfortable? No, I'm not. So I'm not interested in your comfort, but I'm interested to make you grateful. Because you can be thankful and grateful without having your own plans. What would make that? It would be made on one condition, that you and I believe that God's plans are better than mine and yours. If you believe God's plans are better than mine and yours, you will be thankful no matter what plans are coming to fruition because God is a big boy and he can make his plans accomplished, doesn't he? So if you're 100% desiring that the better plans win, you would go with God's plans. I used to play with a, with a funny guy who was an absolute incredible miracle performer on the soccer field. And whenever he decided a particular play, man, I went with him. I wouldn't argue with him, hey, man, now what, what about we do this? I just, what do you want? Yeah, I know it's going to win. You're too good for my little brain. Imagine if we treated God that he's too good for our little brain. And that his plans and his hopes and his dreams for your life, for your family, for your ministry, for your future, for the community around you is far grander, grander and better than the dreams and hopes and the itsy bitsy desires that you have. The question that I want to pose to you here, if you want to have a self-empowered worldview where you can be emotionally immovable in the face of whatever circumstances and difficulties, you know, I'm not there. I'm not here to tell you, hey guys, follow my example. Many of you are living this better than I could ever dream. I watch some of you endure incredible hardship and difficulties and watch you being thankful in the midst of difficulty. There's a particular family in this, in, in this church that whenever I go visit the lady who's have a, a, a significant illness for many, many years, she's always got a smile and a grateful heart. And I, and I go out of there honestly more convicted than I went to encourage. And many of you are living that, but I desire to do that too. What controls my emotions? His agendas or mine? Because when your agendas are being undermined, when there is unfavorable circumstances because your agendas are not being fulfilled, you feel sad, maybe even dejected, maybe even discouraged, maybe even given up. Because your agendas are struggling with the realities of life. But imagine if our agendas are God's agendas because He's got a better plan for your life and mine than we do. The last thing I want to share, spirit-filled people are empowered in their wrestle. They are empowered in your wrestle. Look at what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. I don't know what type of story you're going to tell me. But if you're honest, I bet you would struggle and wrestle with this concept. That spirit-filled people submit to one another. The word submit to one another actually is like a ranking word that means somebody goes first. It's an order. So when you submit to someone else, it's like telling somebody else to go ahead of you. 
It's like being at McDonald's and somebody comes from the back and says, no, 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 you come ahead of me. Not many people do that. Or if you're standing in the bank queue, not many people do that either. But if you stand in the queue and somebody comes from behind and says, you go ahead of me. That's what submit means. To give somebody else the preferential treatment. And the question is this. What motivates my actions? God's people's benefits or mine? Whose benefits? And, and before you start thinking, I'm going to have to be a, 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 you know, what do you call it? The mat. You know, what do you call it? Huh? Doormat. That's right. Before you think it's a doormat, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He didn't pat him on the back and say, ah, oh, you know, I, I'm going to change my mind, Peter, because you came up with a better idea. I'm not going to go to the cross. You know, fella, you're right. You're right. I don't want to hurt your feelings. No, Jesus called a spade a spade. Jesus spoke the truth in love. And sometimes we don't say the truth not because we love people too much. It's because we're scared of people too much. It's because we love ourselves too much. We can't tell them the truth because they might not like us or give us the cold shoulder or mistreat us. But if you truly and honestly spirit-filled person, you will fear no man. Paul says, am I seeking the approval of people or the approval of God? Whose benefits are being served in saying the truth? Whose benefits are being served in telling your children the truth? Whose benefits are being served when you tell other people that love you and care about you the truth? What motivates my actions? Your hopes and dreams? Your benefits? Are you always going around rubbing shoulder with people and wondering who's going to help me? Or are you wondering whom can I help and how? How to be filled. I want to give you three quick things about how you and I can be filled. Number one, desire. Desire to be filled. You know, Paul says to the Romans in chapter 12, says to them that, you know what? Because of in view of God's mercy and kindness and greatness, I'm going to encourage you to give yourself as a living sacrifice. It's because of God's kind heart towards you and I. Because He has the better future for you and I. Because He cares about your life and my life. He can genuinely desire for Him to take over. Secondly, you got to make a decision. When somebody offers themselves as a sacrifice, you know that's a once-for-all decision. Because once you're sacrificed, you're gone. So you better think about it properly before you do it. And finally, it's got to be a discipline because a living sacrifice decides every day to keep itself on the altar. Friends, I know from my personal experience, and I bet your personal experiences agree with this, that is the hardest thing to trust God enough to surrender fully to him. But imagine if we did. Imagine if we truly believed that God has got my best interest at heart. Imagine if you trusted that he has your best interest at heart, that he said, not my will, but your will. Not my agenda, but your agenda. Not my schedule, but your schedule. Imagine, 
Imagine if God began to take control of your relationship and blessed your capacity to love. Imagine if God began to take control over your work environment and blessed your ideas and your wisdom to do the best around. Imagine if God could take your heart and make you overflow with praise that you desperately wanted for years but couldn't manufacture yourself. Imagine, imagine if you did not do decisions based on what's comfortable, but accepted God's plan and you became continually thankful, regardless of the circumstances that come and threaten to derail your path. Imagine if you could live in such selfless way, putting others first and it won't be something that you manufacture as something that God gives you as a gift. The desire God can give to you today. If you're a non-Christian and you're with us today, it is our absolute honor and privilege to have you. And God is offering to you the opportunity to surrender your life to Him. But if you're a Christian, and you've received the indwelling of the Spirit and you're satisfied, God wants more of you because He has more for you. And today, I'm going to do the brave call of asking some people to surrender their life afresh to God and to live a Spirit-empowered life. Peter, we, you know, we get embarrassed no pressure. But if today is a day where you're so sick of doing life walking and you want to begin for the Holy Spirit to enable your desire, to empower your decision and to motivate your discipline, I want you to come up the front. I want to pray for you. We're going to have a song. Don't wait until the end of the song. If you're desperate, it just come to my mind right now, a story that dad told me of a person that really wanted to surrender their life to Christ. But every time God came to them in a dream and said, give me the keys of your heart, they will turn around and give him everything they had, all the keys except one little key. And God in Christ in His kindness took all the keys and left that key in His pocket. But the guy never experienced God's presence or favor or change of life. It was just the same. So Christ appeared to him a little later and, and the guy said to Christ, What have you done? You took all the keys and nothing changed. Christ said to him, What about that little key in your pocket? And the guy cried and said, Christ, I don't have the capacity to take the key out and give it to you. But would you put your hand in my pocket? And would you take out the key that I can't give to you? Would you allow Christ to come and take the key that you're so holding on to you can't surrender? He's willing to enable you.
to do that. Let's be upstanding. If you want prayer, I'm going to invite you. Don't wait. Come and do your business with God and tell Him afresh that you want the empowerment of His Spirit.